0: Good evening everyone. Welcome to um, our Bible Ponder for this evening. This is going to be the last main video in our current look at biblical interpretation. So what we're going to go ahead and do um, is we'll have a Zoom discussion um, next Wednesday. I'll do a really short video that just kind of wraps up everything that we've talked about so far in the series to kind of tie a bow around it and get us ready to have a bit more of a solid discussion and chat about um, what the videos have been about and also what maybe we've learned um, through some of the extra resources that I've pointed to, especially the Bible Project videos and things like that. Um, So this last video, um, we're going to talk a bit about um, where do we go from here and that's kind of a wide open thing with biblical interpretation, but I think it's an interesting thing for us to look at, and it's partly why I've picked it. So, um, we've talked about um, context, we've talked about um, a method of like how we approach looking at um, the biblical text, and then we've talked about um, some different problems around um, how we go about interpreting, specifically um, how we bridge the gap between ourselves and the text. Um, So in this video, I'm going to talk about where do we go from here? What does this look like for the future um, for for all of us? Um, And I've categorized this into sort of three groups of questions. Most of these are going to be kind of questions for us to ponder. So the first area to, to think about is where do we go from here in our personal life? So when it comes to biblical interpretation, um, where are we moving towards in this conversation? Um, The second aspect is in the future of the church. Where does the conversation about biblical interpretation take us as Christians, as as a wider church and group of followers of Jesus? And then third is what is what about the future of the world as a whole, both Christian and non-Christian? Um, What does biblical interpretation do and where does it go from here for the whole world? So those are the three areas of questions that we're going to look at. So we'll start small and kind of work our way out. And then at the end, I've got an example text um, to look at one last uh, example of biblical interpretation and how we go about it and what we can add um, from applying the different things that we've talked about. So the first kind of group of questions for us in our personal life, where do we go from here um, for biblical interpretation for ourselves? And I think the, the main question I have for us on that, where do we go from here, is the question, what do we read the Bible for? What are we hoping to get out of it? I think that's the most important thing we need to remember. And um, when we approach reading any sort of thing, what we expect to get out is going to influence what we do. So the first kind of thing is what we're are we looking for God's guidance for our lives, because if that's something we're looking for, um, there are places to look for for that. But not everything is going to necessarily give us the best advice. But we need to be aware. Are we looking for that? Are we looking for um, encouragement for ourselves in a difficult time? um the Bible can offer a lot of encouragement for us um, if we know where to look and we know how to approach the text. Um, are we looking just to prove ourselves right, or are we looking to prove others wrong, the sort of two sides of the same coin? Are we are we hunting for what we call proof texts, um, little sound bites that we can pull out of the Bible to prove our viewpoint right and to prove other people's viewpoints wrong. um, Is that necessarily what we want to do? We need to be aware if that's how we're approaching scripture. Uh, The last way of where we're going to approach the the Bible in our personal life, the one that um, to me is the most compelling is, are we approaching it to see how God moves in the world? I think this is the question that um, opens the Bible up for us today to, to see where we can go and how it can be most useful to us in the church and the world, um, to see how God moves for the people of the biblical text and then help us to see in our own lives how God is moving around us and how the world is full of God's movement and change and how we can become a part of that and join ourselves to the story of God. So that's kind of the question for me, but We need to understand and and know in ourselves, what are we reading the Bible for in our personal life? I think that's where we go from here. For the future of the church, where do we go from here? Um, The first question is, do we just keep arguing? Or do we need to decide what we want to care about as a church? For far too long, churches have used the Bible and used conversations around biblical interpretation just to fight with each other, just to argue over things. Um, We talked a bit in, in previous video about where do we kind of draw the line because some things are maybe worth arguing for. And that's that difference I talked about was when theology harms rather than heals. But we need to look at the difference between fighting for what we believe versus fighting over what we believe. And for a really long time, churches have have simply fought over what we believe Um, and and we need to be fighting for what we believe. And if we believe that those things are worth fighting for, for justice, for people who are um, marginalized by society, for, caring for the poor and the downtrodden and for offering God's grace to everyone in the world, then those are the things we need to fight for rather than just fight over those things. Another question for the future of the church is, does the Bible hold clues for church growth? I think often we're convinced that somewhere deep inside the Bible is, is the key for how to sort of reverse this downward trend of, of church attendance and all of that. And if we could just find it, then maybe it would unlock everything and our, and our pews would be full again, or our chairs would be full again, whatever the case may be. But I'm not sure if the answer to that question is yes. Does the Bible hold clues for church growth? I don't think specifically, I think the Bible offers clues to the character of God, to, to how, again, how God moves in the world. But the Bible itself, especially when we come to the close of the New Testament, is not concerned with the church as we know it today. So does the Bible even offer a vision for church at all? Or does the Bible open up God's character and offer us into God's story and the church as we know it? for centuries has been part of that story but maybe we need to have the vision and the wisdom to see God and the story of God as bigger than just the story of a couple centuries of church as we know it. Maybe there's something different than that and maybe the Bible doesn't hold the perfect clues for that. Maybe the Bible's bigger and has a grander vision for humanity than that. I don't know. The other question about the future of the church is What did the Bible and the church have to do with each other? And in what ways are faith in Jesus and the church tied together? This is really similar to what I was just talking about, of maybe teasing out in some ways how our faith in God and our church membership are the same, and maybe in some ways how they're different, and working on getting towards the essence of faith and the essence of being Um, Christians and followers of Jesus at our very core rather than just church people. So if you want to talk about the the future of the world, this one's a bit tricky because of just the Bible and our relationship to it as Christians. But I do want to know how the Bible can shape the world for the better. I think in many ways it has over the centuries. um, a, A Christian ethic has really penetrated all of Western society, and and a lot of our charity organizations have Christian foundations. A lot of the scientific rigor that exists in the world began um, out of a Christian mindset of discovery, wanting to, to find out more about God's beautiful world. So I think, in essence, the Bible has shaped our world for the better in a lot of ways, and it can continue to do that as we continue to get to know Jesus, get to the heart of the character of God. All of that way of living that comes out of that can shape the world for the better, for the future. And then how does specifically biblical interpretation impact the world? Well, I think again, it gets back to that core of theology that heals rather than harms. And if we can begin to reform our ways of biblical interpretation, From ways that are either just about argument or proving ourselves right or looking for all the wrong things in the text that misguide us and and take us down paths that um, really affect where we're going. If we can really get at the heart of God and Jesus through our biblical interpretation, that can begin to shape the world by shaping us, by shaping the church and making it all kind of flow in the same direction. And also part of that um, comes into calling the world's powers to account. I think the Bible and I think Christians as disciples of Jesus and as people who are shaped by the Bible can go a long way towards calling for justice, calling for care for the poor and and for changing the, the very structures in our world, the patriarchy keeps down the, the women among us and the, the structures of police brutality that um, really, really um, harm and hunt and, and at times, many times murder um, the people of color among us. A properly informed Christian ethic that comes out of a heart of biblical interpretation, seeking how God moves in the world, can aid us in calling these powers to account. And I think that's a really, really powerful thing. This isn't just for our own personal um, ethical guiding or our own kind of moral journey. I think the Bible has far more to say about calling powers to account and shaping the entire events of the world than it has to say about the decisions I make minute on minute in my life and whether or not at, at any time I'm, I'm doing something right or I'm doing something wrong. So I think that's how it can shape the future of the world. And I think that's a really important thing for us to do. Um, So lastly, I'll give us um, one last quick example of a biblical text and kind of walk a little bit through interpretation. And um, rather than just looking at what the outcome of the interpretation is, I I think it'd be interesting to look at sort of an example text to see these um, processes kind of, in motion to watch what happens when we read a text and um, look at it a little bit more. So hopefully this will be an illuminating sort of thing to to help us see um, a biblical text in a new light. So let's do that just now. Right, the text that I think will be interesting to look at is one that I'm sure we all will know very well. It's one we maybe learned as kids. It's definitely one that I learned as a kid because I actually had a playset set um, of plastic bits of this and that is the armor of God. I actually had a set of armor that um, we got from our local Christian bookshop that was the armor of God. Um, so let's look at this text, we'll read it, and we'll kind of walk through a bit in, in terms of how we're thinking about this text, and then um, widen it out to see um, what else we can learn. So this comes from Ephesians chapter 6, the very end of the book of Ephesians, and um, this is an epistle um, attributed to the Apostle Paul, and it's got a lot of things in it. It's a really densely written book. It's got, um, in Greek, really, really long sentences, quite flowery language. Ephesians 2 has the famous sort of hymn or poem about Jesus not considering equality with God something to be grasped or clutched, but um, took on the very nature of a servant. And that's where we've gone through in Ephesians. And then we're coming to the end, and, and this is where Paul leads us. So Paul says in Ephesians 6, chapter 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and, having done everything, to stand firm, stand, therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist, and put on the breastplate of righteousness, as shoes for your feet, put on whatever whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word. Of God. So the armor of God. Let's walk through in our heads a bit how we're going to look at this. Um, Are we talking literal armor here? No. I think that's pretty obvious. I think we would all um, maybe find that silly to think of this as literal armor. It's clearly metaphoric. It's a breastplate of righteousness, a shield of faith. These are not physical items. He's using an extended metaphor. We also have some clues as to where he's going in his talk of the difference between a, a sort of physical struggle versus um, larger enemies. And so what he, he's talking about here, which is really interesting, our struggle is not against enemies of flesh and blood. So it's not people necessarily that we're talking about fighting against in, in a, again, a sort of militaristic way. But it's powers, rulers, authorities, and, and the, the machinations that, that shape our world. Things that we talk about, like in our modern world, the way white supremacy or the patriarchy, in sort of all caps, it are powers that shape our world. And that's what Paul is talking about fighting here. And his uh, metaphor of armor, which mimics and mirrors the sort of Romanesque armor is not again about a a militaristic battle, but a fight against um, the the larger forces at play in our world. Let's look also then at context. So one of the interesting things, I didn't learn this until um, quite late on in my life, that this is not the first place that God has armor. So if we're talking about context, let's widen the context out to the whole biblical narrative. In um, Isaiah chapter 59, we have um, these verses. So I'll read these and we'll see if these illuminate the armor of God that Paul gives us anymore. Isaiah 59. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one and he was appalled that there was no one to intervene so his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to what they have done, so, he, so will he repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands their due. From the West, people will fear the name of the Lord And from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory, for he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. So for Isaiah, the armor of God, breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, those same things that Paul is drawing on, is not armor that he encourages the people of Israel to put on, but is the armor that God's self puts on. In order to carry out um, justice, in order, again, these same things, looking around and seeing no justice, maybe seeing these same wider machinations and powers and authorities that are shaping the world. And especially for Isaiah at that time, it's the idea of the people of Israel rebelling against God and then being sent into exile. And because of their lack of care for the poor and their lack of justice and their chasing after idols, that's happened. And so God wants to take action and God puts on this armor. But that's not the only place that we have um, a very similar armor of God. There's another place, if we're going to even widen out the context further, um, in the Book of Wisdom or Wisdom of Solomon, which is one of those books called in in the Apocrypha, which, if you have um, some Bibles, will contain it, some King James versions will. Some New Revised Standards version will it'll often say New Revised Standard with Apocrypha and things like that. And those are books that are um, very, very close to being considered canonical or part of um, what we consider the biblical text. Um, and so they are useful things. They're useful historically. They, they offer for many people, for many um, Jews and Christians for centuries. They were considered basically on par with the rest of the Bible. Um, There are ancient books. This one is written um, sort of between the the end of the writing of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so um, in the Book of Wisdom, Chapter 5, we will uh, begin reading in verse 15. This is what the Book of Wisdom says. But the righteous live forever, and their reward is with the Lord. The Most High takes care of them. Therefore, they will receive a glorious crown and a beautiful diadem from the hand of the Lord, because with his right hand, he will cover them, and with his arm, he will shield them. Again, that idea of a crown and a glory, that's language Paul picks up on as well, the idea of racing to the end to receive a crown. That's, again, the stuff Paul, Paul picks up on. Verse 17, continued wisdom of Solomon. The Lord will take his zeal as his whole armor, and will arm all creation to repel his enemies he will put righteousness on as a breastplate and wear impartial justice as a helmet he will take holiness as an invincible shield and sharpen stern wrath for a sword and creation will join with him to fight against his frenzied foes And then he goes on and on to describe the battle in a bit more detail what's interesting there is the shift from isaiah to God looking and seeing no justice and putting on armor. And then this, we have God putting on armor, but then inviting people to join with him in the battle. And then we have a shift, and then later to Paul, who says, you put on the armor of God. And again, it's almost like we are then joining God in this battle, it is no longer that God is fighting, on God's own looking out and seeing no justice and deciding to take action in a in a maybe a, a messianic prediction of Isaiah looking forward to Jesus now for Paul we are fellow soldiers with God fighting these principalities that keep justice from the land and and that spread evil throughout the world we're putting on these things not just for ourselves but we're joining a wider cosmic battle that's been taking place all throughout history against the, the powers and principalities and rulers and authorities and cosmic powers that control the world for for evil for against what we would want to see um, happen for the people of the world. So how do you see how in this process context, Opens up this meaning for us. It, it doesn't necessarily change it. It doesn't make it different. It's not some kind of hidden thing, but it adds flavor, it adds seasoning to what we're reading from Paul, and it again moves us away from a kind of individualistic and maybe moral reading where we're trying to look for some kind of personal ethic, and widens it out to to the world and and the wider. Ways that things are are shaped and moved. And I think that's a really um, beautiful way to approach it. So, even in that little bit, just looking at um, some context, you can see that. And that's not, again, stuff that's um, super duper hidden. Again, Isaiah 59 is not hidden, but also if you just do a quick search of the armor of God, you'll find the information about the book of wisdom and you'll come to that. So if you're willing to take a couple moments to look for yourself and engage with that, you'll find a lot of these same things and it will um, lead you and guide you in your way. So I've got one um, bit of um, uh, extra homework for you, another Bible project video that I think is really interesting, and really helpful. Um, they've been doing a series now um, very, very recently, even up to um, last month on their own process as Bible Project, for how they approach doing videos, and where they come from, and all of that sort of thing, and and how they do the research in that. And there's one video in particular that I think is really interesting that that talks about having a spirit of open-mindedness as they approach. And that's the video I'm going to link to in the description here for you. Um, Have a watch of that. Again, typical Bible Project style. It's about five minutes long or so. You'll also get to see um, the two guys who do the voices for the animation videos, if you've never looked them up on the site or, or seen bits where you actually see the two of them, you'll get to see them. And it's always weird to put a face to an animated, you know, disembod- disembodied voice. Um, but I think this was really interesting to, again, get at the process and not just specifically a biblical interpretation, but the whole process about how they approach everything that they do. And I think that's really fun. And I think it's really interesting. So I'll link to that in the description. And again, next week, next Wednesday. Um, please do join us for a Zoom discussion. Um, again, I'll do a, just a couple minute video to kind of wrap all of this up to maybe go over it a little bit um, so you don't have to watch something completely new. But if you want to watch back some of these videos and refamiliarize yourself with them, um, then that's absolutely great. If you have any other questions about them as well or want to talk about any of it further, um, feel free to get in contact with me. My information is on our church website at ellenparishchurch.co.uk. You can find me there under the contact section. Send me an email. I'd love to have a chat with you about biblical interpretation and how we do it and what we're doing um, when we approach that. So thanks for joining us this evening. Thanks for joining us throughout this whole series. um, And I hope to see you next week um, when we conclude all this with a discussion. Have a good evening.